Hello, you're listening to The Deep Cut, a podcast from Atlanta Christian Church led by pastors Derek Sweatman, Lindsay Self, and Joel Mooneyhan. Each week, we take about 30 minutes looking at the previous week's message and text to explore the theological and practical applications for those of you listening. We're glad you're here. We hope you find it meaningful. And now, let's get started. Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Deep Cut Podcast. This is um, on the heels of the first sermon in a new three-sermon teaching set on Sunday mornings that we're calling a distant community. That word distant is key because we're all living life at a distance right now. And um, so we're talking about faith and how that works at a distance. That was the last teaching set. This one is about community because that's going to be harder to do. Uh, You know, the church is a community. The church is not a person. And so, um, so this is interesting, and our key passage for the whole series is what I would say is like a meta passage for, um, <laughs> for church, and I do believe that it's, uh, it's Acts 2, 42 through 47, and I, I feel like um, what Luke is doing in this text, because he, he does it similarly in other places too, similar descriptions, but I think this is a... a, a like a basic description of the church at its best. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily an anecdotal, but it's like this combination of like when the church is really functioning well, it looks and feels like this. The paradigm. Yeah, this is the yeah, this is the paradigm, the temple, the model. So um so while Joel, why don't you read the full thing? Yeah. And then our focus today is on just verses uh forty four through forty five. Forty four and forty five. So <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so we're in Acts chapter two, verses forty two through forty seven. And they devoted themselves, the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with praise and generous hearts. Uh, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Fantastic. So read verses 44 and 45 again because that will be our, our main focus. Yeah, 44 and 45. Yeah. And all, <clears throat> all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Perfect. So the phrase... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the phrase that Luke uses here is that they had all things in common. So the interesting thing about this is uh, what we know about church history, especially in these early years following the resurrection of Jesus, that statement is actually not very true in the sense that <laughs> they were all the same color, the same gender, the same social status. They don't, In fact, they probably don't have a ton in common, just like nobody has a ton in common. And, you know... Uh, this comes on the heels of a pretty descriptive um, Pentecostal experience where Luke is very careful to name multiple nations that are present uh, at the festival of Pentecost and how those nations formed uh, that, that uh, 
that what happened at Pentecost happened among all these diverse people, groups, and languages and whatever. And so the phrase they had all things in common is is really kind of cool and interesting and funny because they don't, and yet they're trying to, and the thing that they have in common is Jesus. And so, and this is where we're going today, but like the central identity of Jesus within this body of believers becomes the commonality among all the differences that exist um, in that group. So, yeah, there's a, the setting, there, you can't distill a breakdown of the historical setting of Acts into a 30-minute podcast, but it's very analogous to where we are. You have a, a new shape forming of an, within an existing faith community in a very pluralistic society, and not the least of which is religiously pluralistic. It's ethnically, socially, um, class, I mean, everything. And it's a kind of pluralism that we don't, as much as we think we understand pluralism, pluralism in a completely different way. That, I mean, in an empire where there was uh, slavery, there was, it wasn't this kind of democratic egalitarianism that we have in the United States where we try, we at least try to acknowledge and celebrate the fact that we're different. Like this was, differences made a much bigger uh, social stratus than, uh, than we can imagine. And the church quickly gained a reputation for how odd and eclectic it was within that. Mm-hmm. And what are all these people doing together? Mm-hmm. They don't belong together. They shouldn't be in the same house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't about <clears throat> creating some homogenous group. Mm-hmm. It was about taking, like you're saying, I mean, the Roman culture and the Jewish culture, there was a distinct hierarchy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, no matter your gender, your race, like um, all of those things were very important. So instead of creating this group that like none of that mattered, it was like actually we're a group in spite of those things. Right. We're a group where like when when you walk in the door, that's not your key identity. Yeah, and you've got you've got Roman stratification and you've got Jewish stratification. Mm-hmm. So you got two separate whole orders that are working that have, that don't even get along anyway. And then trying to put those together and sort all that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even and there what's interesting is that you, you the question is why would they do this? And really, they can look at Jesus, and it's it's almost a point of cliche, but this is what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. As, insofar as he loved anybody, he never seemed to acknowledge or pay attention to what their status was. Mm-hmm. If you're in need, I'm here for you. And if whatever that need is, if you need healing or if you just need somebody right. to tell you that you're okay. Yeah, Jesus had a way of looking beneath the social veneer that sits, you know, top everybody's like apparent look Mm -hmm. and so and beneath that veneer is the same need for community for love for grace for forgiveness whether you're on the margins homeless sick poor rich all of those things and so you do get examples of um, these anecdotal examples of Jesus doing that you know so he's with he's with people that people hated you know because of their economic status or whatever but Jesus knows that beneath that all the same needs are there. And even in his immediate 12, mm-hmm. you had a pretty diverse politically and religiously. I mean, they were all Jewish, but they all had different, they're mm-hmm. part of different movements within Judaism. They didn't get along, apparently. I mean, mm-hmm. there's 
there's stories of them arguing and bickering and not understanding things and yeah. So even even within Jesus's immediate community, yeah, just didn't seem to care that these guys were fishermen and that guy was a tax collector. Mm-hmm. That this guy carried a sword and these guys didn't. Like, mm-hmm. right. In uh, an article that we all read or an essay from theologian Scott McKnight, there's a, a piece early in there. Well, actually, let me just read a couple things from it. The very first sentence is great. Paul's mission, not to reduce it to simplicities, was to get Gentiles saved and to get saved Gentiles to sit at the table with saved Jews and to like the arrangement at the table. Mm-hmm. I like that um, line. So it's a great <laughs> intro to this. And then he gets into this piece about um, you know the, the archaeological and historical <clears throat> research they've done at Pompeii, that which, was really which they know a lot about. And Peter Oakes, the scholar here, describes... Um, you know, what a typical house church in Rome would have looked like. And let me just read the descriptions. 30 people in total comprising uh, a crafts worker who rents a workshop with separate, li- separate living accommodation for his family, some male slaves, female domestic slave, a dependent relative, uh, a few other householders who rent less space with family and slave and dependents, uh, a couple of members of families whose householder is not part of the house church, a couple of <laughs> slaves whose owners are not part of the house church, a couple of free and free or freed dependents of people who are not part of the house church, a couple of homeless people, a few people who are renting space in shared rooms, migrant workers, etc. And then he writes, the genius of Oaks is that he constructed his model on the basis of space and who owned and lived and worked in those spaces with the result that our picture of a typical house gathering or house church gains immediate clarity as well as a concrete reality. And just, then he's, yeah, go ahead. Just to reiterate, that's in 30 people. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Could be expected. Yeah. And so... And the, two dozen. It's really, it's really fascinating, you know, the... Um, um, you know, the makeup of society and how that started to trickle into these house churches. And for those who don't know, I mean, the initial churches were just in homes. There's not a... There's no archaeological evidence of a church building until the 4th century, so a lot of this was in homes uh, in, in, in conjunction, too, with the continued synagogue presence, um, practicing Jewish you know, stuff that they had always done. So um, I think the point here is that when the early church was functioning at its best, because it doesn't always function at its best, just like the modern church doesn't. I mean, that's so important to understand, but... Yeah. When it's functioning at its best, it looks like this super messy, uncommon community, you know, and um, where there aren't. Uh, it, it it appears from the outside that yeah, there's a there's a seat at the table for every single kind of person. Yeah, I like that idea that it's that it is a messy group. Like it's if you look at that list, you know, that you just read from the article, there's nothing easy about that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like clean and easy and just simple. So it's it's going to be a challenge for all those people to come together and talk about their faith um, and grow in that just like it is for us. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of the church is to come together, obviously, and, and work on our faith together, but doing that with people who aren't exactly yeah. like us. Right. And what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah, he, he goes on to say, he has this riff about Jesus was the Messiah, not just of the Jews, but of the world. Mm-hmm. And what that means, if all are invited to the table, then everyone has a place to sit. That means exactly what it means. They have to talk to one another, uh-huh. share life with one another, give to and receive from one another, regardless of one's status and the status-driven Roman world. Yeah. 
we don't we don't like that's uncomfortable. Yeah, even today, now, mm-hmm. right now, yeah, we would <clears throat> we would be normal to look back on that situation and think, nope, they're so unevolved or whatever. But and we say things like love everybody, but that's actually problematic when we put it into practice. That means everybody. Yeah, you know the great comedian Jeff Die. Yeah. Love everyone. Everyone. Even if they don't look like us. Yeah. Everyone. 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 Get on with it. Yeah, very funny routine. But um, It's worth looking at. Yeah. Maybe we'll link that in the notes. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, But I think the first thing for the church to, the modern church to come to grips with is that we don't do this very well. Even if, in theory, it's the right thing is to be a place where all people are welcomed and appreciated and put to work and, you know, uh, uh, freely allowed to move about the work of the church as equals, Um, we don't do that very well Mm -hmm. because we, especially in our day and age right now where the ideological lines are thick and obvious and um, the disassociation, um, the culture of disassociation is strong. The us and them meter is running very high. Mm-hmm. Well, in any given group, and this is any given group, if you are seen associating with the other, uh-huh. whatever group, that is, whatever the other group is, yeah. I mean, you you risk losing a lot. Yeah. In our very open-minded, yeah. love everybody society. Right. Right. And I think <laughs> that the church in the <clears throat> modern context, and maybe it's always been this way, but. When they talk about how the gospel is an offense to the world, mm. this is what Paul says, like the yeah. gospel is an offense, the cross is an offense. It's like part of that offense is this, that yeah. we're, not, we're not keeping people out, uh, regardless of whether or not we agree with them, vote alongside them, um, think like them. It's, that's the offensive thing, and I think now more than ever, it's so funny how... Um, I mean, the church is, if the church is going to take a hit in the coming decade, it's going to be because it does this well. It becomes a place where communion is served to anyone. Um, and there's no, like, vetting at the door. Yeah. You know? I was, I mean, I went back when we were planning for today, too. Your line, Derek, that you always say that the church can be the better place. Mm-hmm. We might not, as you know, a small church in Atlanta, be able to change the whole city of Atlanta. We can make an impact in our communities, but while we can't necessarily make the entire city a better place, we can be the better place yeah. for people to come yeah. to be that refuge, to be the place where I can walk in those doors and my status doesn't matter. The color of my skin doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. My gender doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Who I vote for doesn't matter. Like, all of those things, like... I can just be me with people who aren't like me and still love and be loved. That's really the key. I mean, it's like we were just saying, like that's at the heart of Jesus' message. And even if it's only for that one hour a week, you get to practice that attribute of heaven, Mm -hmm. um, as odd or weird as it may be. And we get all of this, of course, from Paul. We see it in Jesus' associations. He doesn't say it directly, but Paul sort of speaks on behalf of what he knows of Jesus and like, um, that there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, whatever. And, you know, the common misconception there is that what Paul is doing is erasing differences. But what Paul's doing is saying, 
these, you know, he's erasing the, the distinctions and the stratifications that we have socially with, you know, different groups of people. But the differences remain. That's the beauty of the church is that yeah. when the doors open, all the differences come together. But the social distinctions go away. Yeah, and that's the point. Because if the differences just completely went away, then nothing really interesting has happened. Yeah. Because it's nothing to get a lot of people who are the same in the same room. Right. And if if Paul is saying all of that disappears, then what he's saying is that we all become alike and we can get along. And that's not the point. Yeah. The point is that when those thing those things don't go away, but like you said, the lines around them yeah. disappear. Um, and to Lindsay's point, that idea of you know we. We may not be able to change the city of Atlanta or the state of Georgia or the country, but it made me think of um, Schindler's List. And at the very end, they get from this ring. Mm-hmm. And it's got this inscription from the Talmud that says, if you change, if you save the life of one, mm-hmm. you save the entire world. Mm-hmm. And this idea that um, even changing the world a little bit right around you yeah. is still changing the world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be monumental. And the economy of heaven doesn't work like that. It isn't, you yeah. don't get prizes for having 30,000 members of the church or whatever. You, yeah. you're, you're looked at on how faithfully you loved and showed grace. Back in the day, we had this family from <clears throat> Portland that attended our church, and they moved to Atlanta, uh, the Lowe's, Chris and Caitlin Lowe, great people, and were here for years before they moved back to Portland. Um, but And this is before your day. Yeah. Um, but... You know, but Lindsay will remember this, but I think it was Chris who came up with the phrase, and our church initials back then were CCB because it was Christian Church Buckhead. Um, but, you know, he just... Did he you just kept, hashtag? He, did. She did. <laughs> no, no one can see that, but she totally made the hashtag. Uh, but his hope for CCB was, and these are just his words, it was to keep CCB weird and yeah. strange. And what he meant by that was... When he looked around, and when we looked around, we saw it too. It, it was a very eclectic group of people because back then, mm-hmm. we still had a lot of rollover of these senior citizens from the church that closed but that also helped start mm-hmm. our church, and they all came to us. So we had this great number of like people over 65 you know, doing church with people under 25 and everything in between. And, you know, the, old Catherine at the door handing out bulletins, sitting on a stool, dangerously sitting on a stool because she was quite old. And Precarious. everyone just wondered when the day would come when she would slip or fall off the stool. And, yeah. But that she would be giving out bulletins to children and <clears throat> hugging, you know, teenagers and, uh, you know, and just every shade of diversity in between uh, is what Chris meant when he was like, we should, we should keep this as strange as possible. And whether he knew it or not, he's what he's doing is he's he's channeling the sentiment that Luke is trying to present here about the ancient church, that, yeah, yeah it was a weird and strange place. That was one of the things when I first started coming that I thought was uh, so amazing because it, <clears throat> in a church, I mean, having been to churches that were huge and churches that were small, um, normally to get the kind of diversity that we have, mm-hmm. that, you know, that I noticed immediately, you need a few thousand people. And it just, any church I'd ever been in that had a congregation this size was pretty mm-hmm. homogenous. Mm-hmm. And that, that happens, and I'm not, I'm not that's not a comment on it. It's yeah. just to see that here and um, that, I mean, there were people that were homeless that would walk in the door and nobody batted an eye. Right. And it was just treated yeah. as a, they're here for church. Yeah. And 
Yeah, it, that was one of the things that really struck me. Yeah, when I first started coming. And I think it's important too <clears throat> to remember that people in general sort. Mm-hmm. You know, they. That's what we do. We hang out with people who are like us in a lot of ways, and that's like not to be shunned or shamed. I mean, that's just what people do. Sort out my sweet tarts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you know what I mean. Like, it's not like, and so I think. And I'm, I can't speak for Paul here, but I'm just thinking if there was a church more than 30 people, and I'm sure there were eventually, but like, you know, in these larger churches of uh, hundreds and even thousands, it's like on the surface level, there can be a lot of diversity in there and that's to be celebrated. But when you get down in there, even within that diverse community, there are sorted groups of people mm-hmm. and that's okay. It's like, you know, I think it's like the university, we talked about this in staff meeting, but like, the university is the other example of this. You know, you've got the university is such a diverse group of students, all cheering for the same team. And so, you know, you go to a, you go to a football game, a hundred thousand people in there. You've got math nerds, you've got medical students, you've got law students, you've got teaching students, you've got all these this variety of people. Um, you know, all singing the same song, and it's not it's not a religious thing, but it's just like that's another secular example of. You, you can still sort within this community of diversity and union. Uh, and so I think to, th- to think that we would be able to, or any church would be able to, like, create this community of, of vast diversity and not have to deal with, yeah, but people are still going to sort out, mm-hmm. you know, based on profession or age or music or whatever. That's not realistic. It's also not what Paul's <clears throat> hammering at. Well, and it gets to the body analogy. Yeah. Because, yeah, I have... One body, and it has the same overall goal of survival and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But you've got you've got hands, and you've got feet, and you've got a brain, and um, and all of those are very different things. Yeah, they have a function, and it's very important that they operate differently and correctly mm-hmm. from the other ones. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we can we can get into the if we get into group. You know, when when I started, I got hooked up with. Uh, the artists in the church mm-hmm. and was able, and that was a little a micro a micro group, yeah. group in the church yep. and that you have the musicians and you have the people who want to be on the host team and um, and those are generally gathered around personality types and yep. interests and so again cool. we're sitting at a place where the binary thinking is not helpful no it's we have to have more of the shaded thinking of like oh yeah within a diverse community there can be like minded groups yeah but everyone supports the other. Mm-hmm. And also, the church shouldn't be the scapegoat for this problem in the world. I mean, society as a whole, secular or otherwise, does the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, by neighborhood, by job, by, you know, education. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all very sorted out. I think remembering when you walk through the doors of a church, when you join a church community, when you become a member of this group of believers, um, we talk about your your status maybe disappears when you walk through the door, but like the core of your identity doesn't have no. to disappear. You don't disappear just because you join this this church or this group. Um, you're still an individual, but it's this the idea of like in Christ we're a new creation. Okay, well what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that mean in my life as an individual? And then when I join this larger body of other believers who right. are also a new creation, how are we a new creation together? Yeah. And how do we work yeah. out this messy situation? It's really well said because the, the, the notion is 
or the sentiment as you come in the door and you're like, okay, how am I and all and with all of these people like Jesus? Like how does the identity of Jesus work within this community as opposed to walking in and thinking and looking around the room and wondering who's like me, who's not like me. Instead, we kind of lay that to the side for the hour and focus more on what kind of community is Jesus trying to build. And, um, and I think, too, just as having done this for so many years, over two decades now, the thought that I would change somebody, uh, mm-hmm. either to bring them, quote, over to my side or convince them of <clears throat> whatever politic or music or what, I mean, it doesn't work. And I'm just much happier when I just, uh, and again, this might be a generational thing, but I'm just much happier when I just don't care. It's also, what I care about is you, and I'm, I can learn from you, and you can learn from right. me, but the, that I would want to change you, I have no interest in that anymore. Well, it's not any fun. No, it's terrible. It's, I mean, the best friends I have are friends that outwardly yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's because there are things I get from them, and hopefully things that they get from me. Um, and I think, too, there's this idea that when you, when you start thinking about the lines that we're going down, you don't have to be afraid of sacrificing your identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's you do. Your identity is in Christ. But when you give that over to Christ, what Christ wants is for you to be more who you are. Yeah. And we talked about this a, f- a few weeks ago, too. But this idea that when you, when you join this group and a lot of those stratifications and lines fall away, that doesn't mean that your identity disappears. It means that who you are uniquely mm-hmm. is vital. Mm-hmm. And we need... We have to be different because we, we need each other and we need our, I need people who are strong where I'm weak. And there are people who need mm-hmm. me where, um, where I'm strong when they're weak. We have to have those differences. And by giving our identity to Christ, those things are manifest in a much more real way. And we can start doing this thing right. But. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, <clears throat> the flip side of that, if you're already in the group, we see this growing up cliques form mm-hmm. within schools, within churches even. And so it's it's remembering that even though we're not together right now, but like when we're looking out, like we still need to look outward mm-hmm. to see, okay, who's the new person mm-hmm. walking in the door? Because what they're asking us as a church when they walk in the door is, can I belong yeah. here? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a place for me? Mm-hmm. And if we aren't open to letting them find that place, letting them feel like they belong, yeah. no matter if they're the same as us or different than us in any way. Like, I feel like we're failing as a yeah. church if we don't allow people to ask that question and then us say, of course you belong. Mm-hmm. And the church has to be patient with, uh, you know, and, and protective of the time and the space it takes for new people to find their place. Yeah. Like, that's not our job to, you know, we have to allow people um, to grow and to develop and to find their niche, you know, the great Bill Maher, like, when he says, like, <laughs> the funny thing about liberals is they, they believe in evolution except when it comes to people. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, we, we, that's exactly right. Like, we don't think that, you know, if someone comes in that doesn't, like, is not on my side, then we just discount them immediately. But um, we, and again, the evolution we're talking about with people is into the likeness of Christ, not into my likeness. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the truth is, I yeah, can, that's the kicker. I can be dead wrong about what I think, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's even if I'm totally convinced of it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, focusing on Jesus and what he thinks is the most important. 
Um, and so it's it's not just that I might think the newcomer is wrong in uh, X number of areas in his life and worldview. I could be wrong too. Yeah. And so there always has to be a seat at the table for everybody. Yeah. More often than not, we're we're gonna find ourselves saying or doing something wrong. Like let it go. There's the as we close down. There's the famous piece in the Bible where it talks about being in the world but not of the world mm-hmm. and uh, you know spoken to the church of course and when we talk about the church being different than the world it's it's not about this level of purity or perfection of righteousness or justification or whatever but it's about how it looks with all its assortment of people and uh, in part at least it's like the church looks different than what the world would normally allow and so um, I think that's key. And I think in closing, like just the great, uh, the great movie, The Breakfast Club, yes. is it's, it speaks so it speaks so relevantly here. I also put how, my hand up just so y'all know. Yeah, I'm doing the, the John Bender on yeah. the football field underneath the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mess with the bull, you, you get, get the, the horse. horse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> does Barry Manilow know you raid his wardrobe? <laughs> um, as everyone now Google's Barry Manilow. Um, yeah, and such a good movie, but the premise, it's a John Hughes film, you know, mid-80s, but or 84, I think, but or three, I can't remember the year, but, um, you know, the, the premise is, if you haven't seen it, a bunch of kids from a high school have Saturday detention, and they're all very different from each other. And over the course of the, you know, the film, they're getting to know each other, and uh, they're they're learning what it means to be human within these differences that they all have. And uh, Mr. Vernon, the teacher who is overseeing the detention for that day, forces them to write a letter about what they you know, um, you know about what they did wrong or uh, telling us who they think they are or whatever. And this is the letter, and it's spoken at the end of the movie, but um, it goes like this: Dear Mr. Vernon. We accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it is we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case, a princess and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours. The Breakfast Club. I mean, if that's not a mission statement for the local church, I don't know what is. So we'll leave it at that. Thank you, guys. Have a good week. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Deep Cut. If you'd like more episodes, want to listen through our archives of sermon series, or if you're in the Atlanta area and want to learn more about ACC's mission and ministry, you can find us online at www.atlantachristianchurch.org or follow us on Instagram at the handle Atlanta Christian Church. Special thanks to Jeff Box and Dave Hick for our musical themes, and thanks again to you for listening. We'll be back next week, but until then, y'all have a good one, and go with Christ, grace and peace, and we will see you soon.